This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to The Health Podcast, a new season from BBC Good Food. I'm Tracy Ray, Qualified Nutritionist and Health Editor here at BBC Good Food. In this series, I'll be your host as we explore the world of health and wellness through a series of interviews with renowned and innovative experts across the globe, where I'll be seeking out some of the best practical tips and advice they have to offer. Remember that all content provided here is for informational purposes only. If you have any questions or concerns related to your personal health, you should first seek the advice of your local healthcare practitioner. Welcome to part two of our two-part episode with Dr. Drew Ramsey. If you haven't listened to part one, pause this episode and head over to our podcast page to catch part one there first. We're continuing the conversation with US-based psychiatrist, Dr. Drew Ramsey, on why food is central to our mental well-being and how you too can support and optimize your brain health by first addressing the food on your plate. Let's pick up where we left off. So I wanted to talk a little bit more in detail um, about your book and just give some of our listeners um, some little tidbits about um, what you're talking about. But I just wanted to start by saying that um, I have a copy of your book here, as you know, um, and I've been binge reading it all weekend in, in preparation for this. And I just have to say that it is beautifully approachable. Um, I always think that it's such a testament to the writer who can break down the research and high-level concepts like neuroplasticity or the microbiome or BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, you know, all of these kind of high-level concepts into something that's quite relatable to the point where it leaves people thinking, oh yeah, I mean, I should eat, I can eat leafy greens. They have magnesium. Magnesium is a cofactor that supports brain function. Yeah. Oh my God, that that makes total sense. And and I think it's quite a unique skill. And I just I just want everyone that's listening um, to hear that. Um, because your book is so beautifully written and it has 
I don't know. I'm sure this has been pointed out before, perhaps, but it has just these absolutely beautiful illustrations throughout um, that make it really easy. So you can kind of read through your piece of information, but then you have this beautiful illustration to just kind of hone in that point. So no matter what type of learner you are, whether you learn through reading or you learn through visuals, you can really take away a lot from a lot from this book. So I just wanted to start by saying that. Tracy, thank thank you so much. It's really uh, wonderful to hear that. And, and, it's my fourth book, and so from all of my books, I've really been trying to do what I, I hope we did here, which is take all of this really cool science, but make it approachable and actionable, so people feel mm. empowered, especially with so many opinions and uh, so many ideas, so many folks kind of influencing um, everyone's information around food and such yeah. a kind of hot topic: what you eat, how you think about your food. To, to try and, and and in some ways make it simple. Your brain's the most important exactly. thing you have. We don't really think at all about feeding it. I didn't. That's what I do for a living, take care of brains. So I started thinking all about it. And I thought about it probably with every bite I've taken. My kids are like, you know, you just like this so you can take pictures of your food and put it on Instagram, dad. It's like, that's, that's, so, <laughs> that's not true entirely. Uh, but that with mm-hmm. small steps, that we really can transform our health and and that with small steps and, and important steps, I think for a lot of people, let's talk about some of them, you really can eat to help people beat depression and anxiety. And I want to help people do that because this is the most disabling illness in the world. And mm-hmm. I've, I've treated so many people with de- depression over the years. Um, so I've certainly seen the transformation that can happen with proper treatment and, and with people um, beginning to really take better care of themselves. Not, not that depression is an illness where people don't take care of themselves. I don't in any way want to um, promote that idea. Lots of people mm. eat a, a wonderfully you know, brain-healthy diet and exercise and, and, and go to therapy and still struggle with depression and anxiety. I don't want to oversimplify these diseases as they're really complex. Mm. But, but more that people feel empowered. There are things to do. There's new information. Um, and and the more we can engage even a little bit, the, the better we do. Absolutely. And I think by, you know, breaking down the information and and in the way that you do, you're you're kind of you're closing the gap between, you know, the the science and the papers and the studies that are all the way up here to um the things that I actually can do on a day-to-day basis. And I think you're, you know, by by presenting the the research in the way that you do, you're really empowering people to understand practical ways that that they can help themselves. And I guess one of those practical ways, so so towards the beginning of your book, you introduce um, what you call the 12 key nutrients um, that are really important for supporting your brain health. And I know you you brought up a few um, throughout this conversation, like iron and omega-3 fats, but I wondered if you could share a few of the the key nutrients um, within this, within this 12, and maybe offer you know, what exactly their role is in supporting our brain health and brain functioning and where you can find these foods. Let's give everybody a, uh, let's give everybody a nice brain food prescription to get started. And so I'm going to go through some of the key nutrients, then tell you my mm-hmm. favorite ways to get them. And then let's see if I can tell you a, a fun recipe that I use in my own life. 
Wonderful. All right. So let's think about a nutrient like zinc. Now, zinc is exciting. Mm -hmm. It's used in over 300 biochemical reactions in your brain. So it's just like very necessary. It's a workhorse. It is um, what, what uh, minerals like zinc and magnesium do in the brain is they create the kind of metal core that our proteins wrap around. And mm. zinc is also one of these nutrients that promotes BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. So when I see that, I think this is great. More zinc. Where do I get zinc? And this is sort of the fundamental step. And this is the fundamental step in nutritional psychiatry that I think makes, in some ways, how we approach things a little different, that I'm not then wanting you to take a zinc supplement. I really want you to get natural sources of zinc that mm. are work within your budget, work within your skill set. So my favorite zinc foods, I love pumpkin seeds. And so in the, the way that these 12 nutrients came from, by the way, you can you can um, Google the paper. It's an open source publication. My colleague, Laura Lachance, and I looked at all of the scientific literature for all of these central vitamins and min minerals and found there were 12 that were highly correlated, had significant evidence that they influenced the risk of depression, and they also influence the treatment of depression. And so zinc uh, is one of those 12. So pumpkin seeds um, and another great source are oysters or, or meat. And so when I'm looking at my plate and I see that we're you know having a steak salad, I'm thinking there's lots of zinc in there. But even better if we're having some oyster tacos, um, those are amazing source of zinc. Just six oysters, 60 calories, you get 507% mm. Of your daily need of zinc. So there this is a, an example of nutrient density. So another nutrient mm -hmm. that um, um, I love is magnesium. Magnesium was actually the first, one of the first um, medications used to try to treat agitated depression in 1921 was IV magnesium. Magnesium mm -hmm. we, we sometimes will give to people as a first step to see if we can improve help with things like migraines. Um, there's also some data that that extra magnesium can help in terms of the treatment of depression. And and so high magnesium foods, I say beans and greens is kind of how I remember my life. And that's where uh, we'll often um, uh, have a beans and rice night. You'll see actually on Saturday, I eat beans, I think twice. So uh, beans, particularly red beans and black beans. Um, and, and again, what is magnesium doing in the brain? Magnesium is a, just a central cofactor in the brain. Um, Long-chain omega-3 fats, these are some of my favorites. So DHA, docosahexaenoic mm. acid, it is the longest fat that we eat. Omega-3, what that means, uh, these, they're called polyunsaturated fats. What mean, this means is they have a bunch of what are called double bonds. So it's this long chain of carbons, it's like 24, 22, I think it's 24 actually carbons long. It has all these double yeah. bonds in it. That's what makes it polyunsaturated. That's what that means. And that means it's like storing up lots of energy so it can do all these interesting things. So it can sit in your cell membrane and, and um, kind of change shapes and, and add to the flexibility. It can be triggered to turn into these things called resolvins, which are molecules that kind of fight inflammation and help brain cells. Like It's kind of like life support for brain cells. Um, you find DHA in small fatty fish. So my favorite source to help people with are things like anchovies and sardines because they're really low cost. You can mm. get them in a tin. You don't have to worry about freshness. But like a lot of people, I just, you know, when I open up like a tin of those fish, I just think about cat food. Like I, I used to approach it. So that's my first step. If you're new to these, check your bias because if we go into meals like, oh, this is going to be disgusting. Like it, it doesn't help it taste good. Um, 
And then think about recipes. And so I started using one of my favorite dishes. Um, so I, I, uh, I made it for a woman named Glenda who runs the Aspirin uh, Brain Institute. And now I call it gnocchi alla Glenda. And it's, it's, it's basic because I love gnocchi <laughs> potato pasta because I love potatoes, great source mm. of potassium. But um, using, you can either use sardines or anchovies, just saute garlic, mm. olive oil, pine nuts. And then you just kind of open up the fish, drain off the water and, and mash them in there. Add in a little tomato paste or a little tomato sauce, maybe some fresh oregano. You just end up with this really nice, doesn't mm. taste fishy at all, just delicious kind of umami, yummy gnocchi dish. Um, I think that's but, really interesting just based on, on what you were saying earlier on when we were talking about how you went from eating vegetarian to then trying to bring some seafood into your diet and being a little bit grossed out maybe sometimes and a little I bit was unsure. Out, yeah. I was, I was, the thing, <laughs> I was the trying stress, to be nice, but grossed yeah, out. And the meat, it was just, and, and, and you know what would gross me out? If I think about it, it was processed meat. It was like pepperoni. Yeah. It was, it was um, just like, I remember this meat, it was just like all this ground beef on tacos and it just like smelled wrong to me. So those yeah, are your omega-3 fats. We just, sorry, Tracy, we got to talk the other source that people forget about. They're so amazing because we always say like anchovies and wild fish. And people are like, blah, blah, blah. like I want to hear some new examples. How about mm-hmm. mussels and oysters? So there mussels are just a really great seafood, very high in omega-3 fats, vitamin B12, another one of these uh, great nutrients, mm. high in zinc and minerals, iron, which is another one of the antidepressant nutrients. Um and mussels generally quite inexpensive. And all of these uh, mussels, clams, and oysters, along with other meat, just have lots of complete protein. And when we yes. think about like one protein makes us feel full because our, our mm. body is really on this quest. When we want to get food, our body is trying to find fats and particularly omega-3 and omega-6 fats. And and we're, we're, we're also trying to, to find protein. And I'd also argue we're, we're looking for fiber in a certain way that fiber kind of expands our stomach and, and, and helps us feel full. But those are the real signals for satiation. So that's why... Mm. I have a little rhyme, I say seafood greens, nuts and beans, and a little dark chocolate. And the idea is to really be um, using these food categories, plus a lot of olive oil and fermented foods. Mm. It's really the mm-hmm. foundation of what you feed yourself and, and the types of food. You know, it starts with what you buy. Mm. And, and for anybody who's new to this, it just means like looking at your, you know, your cupboard is, is the main fat you use olive oil. If it's yeah. not, you should start using olive oil as your main fat. Get rid of the canola oil, get rid of the vegetable oil, corn oils. It's going to change because you can't really fry in it as well. It's, it's going to change probably how you cook and eat, but start with that. And suddenly you've just made this massive shift in the types of fat and the quality of fats that you're consuming. Yeah. And I think you're, you know, the way you're speaking and and what I've gotten from reading your book is, you know, you, you're almost portraying to, instead of taking this this advice or these kind of brain foods on as as a, a prescription you're almost saying this is this is what it is these foods support brain function and um, help us to feel good have fun with it explore if you're if you're not too sure about mussels or clams or you know not so sure about the idea of including olive oil find recipes try try different things See what works. You're putting for you. it like maybe that's a radical step if you you know love your fish and chips and you have lots of for soybean you. oil or or at home for frying it or uh, you know I, I like your modification mm. which is try it get a small bottle of, bottle of oil roast roast some uh, broccoli I was yeah. I, I was talking to someone the other day and I had Give this really strange fantasy of 
Remember when Brussels sprouts were these like horrible boiled vegetables that were just disgusting? And I was thinking, wouldn't it be cool? Like if there were a time machine and we got a lot of extra <laughs> usage, it wasn't just like one trip you could like use. Wouldn't it be fun to go back in time and like zoom into one of those like households where everyone's like around the table, sad, eating the sad Brussels sprouts and bring like Brussels sprouts of the future. You know, these like really mm. like awesome roasted with a little like balsamic glaze, a little pecorino roasted. cheese, maybe some sprinkled <laughs> pistachios in there. Be like, these are Brussels sprouts from the mm. future. This is what they can be. <laughs> this is what they can be. But I, I, I know that I've, I'm kind of circling back to this quite a bit, but I do think that's such a good, such an important point, because I know back in my days of working clinically, you know, a lot of people would roll through my door with kind of a sad look on their face thinking, oh, you're going to make food an upsetting thing, aren't you? You're going to tell me that I can't enjoy food anymore just to eat lettuce and avocados and smoothies. And you're just going to make food something that's not fun. But what I love about what you're saying here is that it's not about food not being fun. If you're finding food not fun, then you haven't found the right recipe yet. So for example, if you grew up with boiled Brussels sprouts, um, you probably have that idea in your head thinking, oh, Brussels sprouts are horrible. I don't like Brussels sprouts. Whereas what you're saying is actually, no, have you have you tasted them when they're roasted with some salt and pepper and and spices? Or have you have you sauteed them um, in, in a stir fry or have you, you know, have you tried them in different ways? Try them that way and then tell me what you think about them. And I think we can do that with all of all of these healthy foods that you're talking about, you know, even like the the tinned sardines or anchovies that to, to some people might seem like a, a crazy step. It's They sound disgusting way. to me. <laughs> I mean, I have to tell you, even for this book, I was like, you know, I talk a lot about canned salmon. I don't think... You know, I have such an amazing recipe. So I worked with a recipe developer to really make these amazing mm. salmon burgers. And I've made them like 20 pot times this year. They're so easy. I mean, I, I, in a few minutes, you just whip up this delicious nugget of long chain omega-3 fats. And well, I'm glad um, you appreciate, um, I guess, my enthusiasm. Because I do think it should be fun. If it wasn't fun and delicious, I definitely wouldn't be talking about it. Mm. Um, I, I think the idea... Also, for me, um, having done this for a while, I just really got tired of using fear. Mm. Like you're going to get heart disease, you're going to get you know cancer, you're a bad person, you're going to give yourself a heart attack. I just thought that that was really a type of uh, motivation, but also a kind of hierarchical stance, sort of top-down stance of practicing medicine. And I, I just don't want to be that type of doctor. Mm. I'm not interested in that anymore. I, I don't know what happened. I just had a kind of, I guess, a transition in my own professional career that I'm really just interested in being uh, your expert companion in this mm. and fully tolerant that we don't always figure it out and get it right. I'm fully aware that people do all of this stuff and still really struggle with their mental health at times. Um, but But that what we can really bring to the table is more enthusiasm and inspiration and creativity and encouragement mm. and let people know that we believe in them. The most important thing uh, that we have in psychiatry, we spend so much time with patients, is we just get this front row seat to human resilience yeah. and how powerful people are to transform their lives and heal. 
And so food's certainly one part of that. And, and I want people to feel more excited about these foods for, you know, specifically um, eating their brain health. And I appreciate what you said, not in a boring way. Like if you're bored of your avocado, you got to bring your avocado to on a date with me. And we're going <laughs> to- We're going mean, to show you like, how to do avocado. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, how could you not have? I mean, I've met some people that don't like the texture. Like you avocado yeah. who, you know, don't prefer avocado. Okay. But for the other 99% of the population, um, or 98, maybe there are avocado haters everywhere. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. A, a good example of something that, boy, you open it up and slice it and put it on your plate with a little olive oil and salt and pepper. A great snack. Oh, and, and, you know, mash it up with, uh, you know, again, kind of anything you want, but, yeah. you know, make a quick gu- guacamole. I mean, a great example of really wonderful brain food, really wonderful fats for the brain, all monounsaturated fats. Exactly. Uh, sort of, so, and I mean, even even if you, for example, just on on the avocado piece, because I just really want to hone this point in for for the people who are listening, in that there is a way to make this joyful and fun and tasty and delicious. You know, even if with avocado there's there's a texture issue where you you know you say you don't like the texture of avocado. I mean, you can you can whip avocado with up with some cacao and some, you know, some maple syrup or whatever and make a chocolate chocolate Yeah, chocolate avocado mousse in my last book, Eat Complete, that I just really love. Um, You won't know that's avocado. So I promise I... Can we talk about... Sorry. Go on, no, go on. It's not on the antidepressant food scale list of nutrients, but I want to talk about it because we talked about the microbiome. So I just want to tell you my prescription and and also just pick up on the word you said, which is joyfulness. Mm. So both in the book, Eat to Beat Depression and Anxiety, but also in our clinic where Samantha Elkreef and Shaojie Hu and I work to really provide people a clinical experience that's filled with that. Joyfulness is a word that's really important to us Mm. because there's so much condemnation of people's process and experience and journey, both with mental health, but also with food. And we just always want to have a very different tone. So I'm glad that that comes out in this interview and in the book. And I, and I hope everyone hears my encouragement for that. Not that, that, and that that isn't in my experience as a human and as a psychiatrist, that is not a state we get into without effort. The -hmm. joyfulness is not, you're born with it. You got great genes, or if you're not having it, you've got bad genes. Mm -hmm. Joyfulness is an experience that doesn't have to be fleeting that can be created by you with the power of your brain. Mm. And, and, um, but it takes some things from us uh, to do that. And so I hope everybody feels some encouragement around that. Now, let's just talk the good bugs because how do you get those down to the gut? Let's say you've had lots of antibiotics or let's just say that you've been eating lots of processed foods. You feel, oh, I've wrecked my microbiome. It's all, it's all over. It's not. And you don't have to go out and buy lots of fancy probiotics. Let me tell you the real mm. simple brain food clinic approach to this. Okay. You seed the gut using fermented foods because these have live bacteria. And so my my favorite to do this and all of the recipes in my book use kefir or kefir, it's K-E-F-I-R. Mm-hmm. If people are unfamiliar with it, it's next to the yogurt in the um, dairy section. Mm-hmm. You should get an unsweetened uh, kefir, just be a little careful. But if you want to try it with a sweetened one first, just as the new food again, no shame here. That's great. Um, they're, they're just watch for the sugars, but I like to get the plain one because I added my own sweetener. And I'll tell you what I do. I use the kefir because it has more colony forming units than any other food I found in all of my work. And I've been 
I've been Googling this and, and researching it and asking people for over a decade, how many, what has the most of the good bugs? And what seems to have the most is kefir. Um, a serving of kefir has up to a trillion colony forming units of mm. these bacteria that really are, um, uh, seem to be quite linked to, to overall health. I'll use this to make a smoothie. So my favorite smoothie right now is a peanut buttercup smoothie in Eat to Be Depression and Anxiety. And in the way the book works in the plan is I walk through the microbiome in the front matter in the chapters of the book, but in the back part in the plan, we have a week of talking about and having yeah. you focus on your microbiome. So I walk you through the concerns that people have, the questions people usually have for us, and then share with you some of our favorite recipes to get more fermented foods into your diet. And so the peanut butter cup smoothie is a really easy one. It's just kefir. Um, it's uh, cocoa powder, sort of dark chocolate powder, basically. Mm. Um, a scoop of peanut butter or almond butter. I love peanut butter on there. Some some kefir and a banana. And super simple. Super simple. Um, mm. And it, it doesn't create the sweetest thing, but it, it's 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 reasonably sweet. It depends really in some ways how ripe your banana is. And and what you get there is you know you're recreating that peanut butter cup, but you've just got real dark chocolate. Your sweetness comes from the banana. Um, and uh, you get all the good bugs from the kefir. And so other, other great fermented foods are going to be sauerkraut, kimchi. One of my favorite recipes in the book is a kimchi, a rainbow kimchi fried rice. Rainbows are just rainbows that are good for your brain, meaning colorful vegetables. And um, and there's even a brain food Reuben, just because I don't know. I just, and it, it, it's uh, just packed with all casts with uh, lots and lots of sauerkraut. So those are some ideas on how to reboot your microbiome. Lots of fermented foods. And then just having a lot of plants. Look at your plate. You got a rainbow of plants on that plate. If you don't, open up the fridge. Find some color. You see a yellow pepper in there? Chop it up. Throw it in the saute. Chop it up. We do this a lot with just olive oil or a little, you know, um, salad dressing on the table. And just, you know, chop up vegetables and nibble on them. Especially with kids. Great way to get them nibbling on veggies. Absolutely. And... Something I also wonder is in terms of, um, you know, including some of these foods or trying out some of these recipes, if you're, is there still merit in adding some of these foods in, even if you, you know, still want to go and eat your takeaways or, um, you know, have your, have your ice cream or all of these kind of things, you know, is it, is it an all or nothing or can we still um, get some benefit. Does bad food destroy the benefits of good food? Uh, I would say that that it depends on the person. Mm-hmm. But uh, for a lot of people, your first steps, you're going to be incorporating or trying some of these foods. You're going to be having success and you're going to be having failure. You go buy some pumpkin seeds. And even though I say they're amazing, they'll they'll sit in your cupboard and you won't use them. And I'll say, get kefir and you'll make a smoothie and it's maybe a little too sour for you. Mm. I, I think that the importance is for people to be in motion with their evolution as an eater. Mm. Um, and as you eat more of these foods, as you eat more plants, vegetables, more seafood, more nuts and beans, more traditional diet, kind of Mediterranean themed, if that's your style, but the same data exists for a Norwegian diet, for a Japanese diet. Uh, as you it's eat more of this dietary, processing. Yeah, what, what you'll see is when you eat the processed foods, it's not like you know you wake up and you feel awful. You just don't feel as good. I, I had takeaway pizza last night. It's not like I feel awful today. I just know that that's 
a piece of my dietary pattern. It's a quick mm. meal because we were working hard all day on the farm and it was simple and easy and we were tired. But uh, uh, that's kind of uh, one, a meal that's easy to modify. We'll take that takeaway pizza and we'll, we'll, we'll drop lots and lots of arugula on it. So does healthy food like that, putting arugula on pizza, make the pizza healthier? No, but it makes the meal healthier. Mm. Provides more nutrients. You just add more nutrient density. You add more fiber to that meal. And also as people are eating more uh, whole foods, more traditional foods, what happens is then you have something to contrast with. So the way change happens isn't like, you know, you eat an avocado and you're like the lights go off and it's amazing. It's you eat an avocado <laughs> and it's energizing. It feels good, sits well with you. And, you know, also people, as you're starting to eat, don't eat plants and you're starting to eat more plants, you want to do that slowly. I, in my kale heyday, as I was promoting kale all around the world, you know, a lot of people would come up to me and say, oh, you know, I'm really trying to like, eat this big giant bowl of kale trying to be healthy and I just get so gassy and my gut gets disrupted. What am I doing wrong? And I was like, you're you're eating too much too fast. And and I don't eat giant bowls of kale. I I never Mm. do that. You know, I'll have a a little bit of raw kale, but I really like my kale um, sauteed is probably my favorite or in the form of a chip um, or just uh, kind of wilted in with, with, you know, whatever I'm eating, uh, stir fry, pasta, rice, anything like that. So so it, there's there's still value in in including these including these foods. I think so. I mean, I'm definitely on the sidelines rooting for people. So I think you pick up a vegetable and eat it, you're gonna get uh, you're gonna get cheers from me. You pick up seafood and try it. If you spit it out and you're like this, you're gonna get a cheer from me because yeah. you tried something. And and I just know this is how we evolve is by being curious enough to try and and kind of fascinating. One of the things that I think is even with all the stuff I've learned about food, all the farms I've gone to, I still think it's so awesome that I still learn about like new foods or even like new nutrients or new ways that the body works, but particularly like mm. new types of eating and flavors. So do something that is, um, I'm really curious about from, from everything that we're discussing is the idea of, you know, should we all be eating to support our brain health? Or is what you're talking about um, something that we should be considering when we are experiencing depression or anxiety or or mental health conditions? Everyone should be eating to protect their brain health. There's no other way sensibly that you should orient yourself as an eater. You should really center around taking care of your brain health. Not that you don't want to be up all night dancing, not mm. that you can't eat chocolate cake. Of, of course, those are all part of having fun. But that as a regular pattern, eating to support your brain health and your mental health is an essential part of taking care of and having a human brain. And we've largely given over control mm. of that. We don't think about our mental health as related to food as a central concept. We don't think about ourselves as really empowered eaters who can know what we're doing and take care of ourselves. And both, and there's been a tremendous amount of pressure, both in terms of food marketing and supplement marketing and medication marketing. Mm. It really has left a lot of people confused about a very central and, and somewhat simple idea that you can feed your mental health, that you can take care of your mental health not as a replacement for treatment, but as something that will augment treatment if you need it. And certainly is something that is the most powerful preventative tool that we have when it comes to mental health conditions. 
And I think also something that I've heard you speaking about is even in the case where you do have um, a a diagnosed or undiagnosed mental health condition that you are seeking um, help and support with with a medical professional for, there's still merit in including certain, you know, these nourishing foods um, into our diet. I think you you spoke before about... um, the addition of iron when taking antidepressants and the the merits of that. Yeah, so so a lot of these different nutrients that you, you find in the foods we recommend uh, have evidence that when you give them an addition to an antidepressant, so things like folic acid and vitamin B12, when you augment B vitamins in antidepressant trials, the outcome tends to be better, a little bit better. And so really we're trying to emulate some of that with someone's nutrition plan that we're going to size more B vitamins, more phytonutrients, more iron, magnesium, and zinc, more B12 and, and, and long-chain omega-3 fats is, is a real hope, again, both to help people feel empowered with being in the prevention game. Uh, and, and then mm. also if you are in some treatment to give people things to do, you know, one of the, I think the worst feelings when we have struggles in our mental health is that the only thing that helps us feel good is is if you know a medication works or our, our therapist really helps us in a very specific and clear way that translates mm. to our feeling better. Which you know it, that all, doesn't always happen in psychotherapy. Psychotherapy a lot of times is really often really painful, right? It's talking about either trauma, mm. parts of ourselves that we're struggling with, um, parts of our character that are causing us trouble. I mean. It's not like a cheerleading session, <laughs> you know. It's it's it's, it's hard work <laughs> psychotherapy. So again, the mm-hmm. the idea is that food for a lot of people has just been mi- a missing factor, and and I would say is a field yeah. in some ways have had blinders on a little bit when it comes to nutrition. It's just not incorporated into how we think about mental health, how we train mental health professionals, or or even publicly or culturally how we relate food to our health and mental health, which is strange because one thing is very clear throughout the world is that every culture tremendously values food. Every culture has incredible rituals around comfort, around favorite foods, around foods that nourish us. And so in some ways, Mm. nutritional psychiatry is very intuitive to humans our happiness and our mental health is intimately tied to the food we eat. We, we all know that. What, I, what yeah. I hope with this book and with, the, with these recipes and with my work is to help people uh, quickly get access to the new science that beyond mm. our kind of simple homespun wisdom that home cooking is good for the soul, there's really deep neuroscience now that traditional food is profoundly good for our brain and for our mental health. Mm. Mm-hmm. And also, I think in in a lot of ways, by by talking about these things, you're you're giving people permission to to ask questions about this stuff as well that they may not otherwise have broached. So, you know, if you are, for example, um, under the care of of a health professional, and maybe you're seeking psychotherapy or um, medication or things like that, that you can also ask questions about the other aspects like exercise and and diet and and that that's okay. Um, I think sometimes we we just want to know that that that's okay to ask as well. It's for sure always okay to ask. And I think some clinicians know more and believe more in these things than other. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I speak to uh, 
patients and they say, oh, you know, I talked to my doctor and, and he said, you know, food doesn't work or sleep mm -hmm. hygiene doesn't matter or, you know, exercise doesn't beat depression. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of reasons, mental health has gotten reduced to like meds or no meds. Yes. And the field of psychiatry is, you know, what people think I do as a psychiatrist is I prescribe mm. medication. And I hope that uh, in the new modern era, we'll increasingly consider psychiatrists, physicians who take care of mental health. That's what I do. And that's what I'm really expert in. That's what I love doing. That's how in psychiatry we save lives. And food is a part of that conversation. Mm. And but certainly we have a lot more to offer individuals and medications. But when people do need medications, we're highly qualified and experienced in helping them pursue those avenues responsibly with, with good outcomes. Mm. So I'm going to ask you the, the final question. Um, this has been an amazing conversation. So, so thank you so much for that. Um, but, you know, as, BBC Good Food. Um, you won't be surprised that we're we're all about the the joy of food and um, really kind of having fun with recipes and having fun with food, and in particular uh, enjoying uh, a cake, a slice of cake here and there. Um, so I was very curious um, when it comes to cakes or or sweet treats or or things like that. Do you have a favorite? I have three. So here are my favorite desserts. I really, I love uh, dark chocolate. It's on the list, not as a marketing gimmick, because I, I believe in the power of dark chocolate based in the science that it's, an, it's a food that is quite high in iron, in magnesium, and in fiber. Mm. I like to take that cho dark chocolate and do a few things. I, I like to make brain truffles. And in a brain truffle, I, I, there are a number of different recipes I put in my books, but it's usually some combination of... Uh, dark chocolate and nuts and spices and a little bit of sweetener and binder, you know, something like date or peanut butter to hold it together. So here's making these little delicious bites that you can enjoy. And the most important thing about brain truffles is to savor them. I recommend people bite them in half, not pop the whole thing in your mouth. And, um, yes. but, but to really work on the mindfulness aspect of pleasurable eating, which isn't gobbling down our big piece of cake, it's sitting with all of the richness and deliciousness mm, of that. Enjoying of the cake. experience. Not that you can't eat the whole piece, but I just find a lot of us, myself included, kind of wolf down the desserts. We have a we have a family tradition birthday cake, which is a Panama tort, which is a tort made mainly of dark chocolate, almonds, egg whites. Um, and then we put usually like a raspberry jam wow. over the cake part and then cover it in a very, very, Sounds very amazing. dark chocolate. That's <laughs> I like it. My favorite cake. Well, thank you so, so much for taking the time to be here with us. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you for listening to the BBC Good Food Health Podcast. For more information, visit bbcgoodfood.com forward slash podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts to never miss an episode.